Welcome to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. There are all sorts of little things that can sway an election, especially an election that's close. In 2016, slight shifts in three states that often vote Democratic, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania, turned out to be especially important in handing Donald Trump an electoral college victory. An Oxford University study found that those three states would have voted for Hillary Clinton if their use of robots had been just 2% lower. And if that had happened, she'd be the president. This week, we'll talk to folks who don't agree at all as to whether the problem with the economy and all the political fallout that it's caused is technology, or whether the real problem is us. First up, Brian Alexander has chronicled how several swing states have had the effect of completely shifting our politics, from Obama to Trump to whatever comes next. He's the author of Glass House, The 1% Economy and the Shattering of an All-American Town, and he recently wrote about automation in the MIT Tech Review. Brian, welcome. Thank you. It's a great pleasure to be here. So your book came out in 2017 after the 2016 election, but you've continued to like report this story, particularly focusing on Ohio, which is where you're from. And obviously, we're right up against another election right now. What's your sense of whether anything has changed in the last couple of years? Yes. I I mean, I think some attitudes have changed somewhat. I think uh, speaking specifically about Donald Trump, I think there is some chagrin among some people who voted for Trump in states like Ohio who are not pleased with his behavior. On the other hand, I think there's a reluctance to sort of admit to that because so many people, you know, who are very broadly generalized, overgeneralized as the the so-called elite or the coastal elites or whatever, have been telling people that they made this huge mistake. And so there's Mm -hmm. there's a big reluctance to admit they made a mistake. It's sort of like when you've been swindled, nobody wants to open up to it. So I think there's still a lot of support for Donald Trump, uh, almost as an act of defiance against people who are doing well. You know, often there's this uh, mocking among some of my colleagues, frankly, about, you know, they talk about, oh, economic insecurity, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, when it was really racism or something else. The fact is, it's not just economic insecurity. It's insecurity about everything. It's cultural insecurity. It's insecurity about money and politics and where they stand in the world now. Uh, The ground has shifted under their feet that feeling is still there Hmm. in these places and, in fact, might be stronger than ever. Hmm. Um, You read about a study that estimated that close to 700,000 jobs um, uh, had been lost to automation between 1967 and 2014. Do people feel like Donald Trump is addressing that situation in the way that maybe they hoped? No, not, not specifically automation. Automation is part of a mix of this general shifting that I just described. I don't think that they think that Donald Trump is going to be able to do much about that. In fact, they regard the coming of automation and artificial intelligence and other buzzwords that they've heard about as as inevitable as the sunrise. Okay. Uh, and there's nothing to be done about it. It's interesting that they have bought into this idea that whatever technologists in Silicon Valley says is going to happen will, in fact, happen. And it's going to mean bad things for them. They don't know what exactly bad things, but it's going to mean bad things. And they see this on the line. You know, in the MIT Tech Review story, 
about automation. I talk a little bit about an auto parts plant in Wood County, just south of Toledo, that has about half the number of employees it used to have. And one of the reasons is because of robots. And the existing employees certainly see that. And they see that if they could be replaced, they will be replaced. And so they never know when that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of these places, including Toledo, which has been, you say, and this shocked me, I think is the most roboticized place in America, right? Toledo? Right. Okay. Yep. But a lot of these places have been trying for years, uh, sometimes successfully, to create programs and like pipelines for students where instead of being displaced by robots, they can be the people who maintain the robots, who work with the robots, who are the experts so that they can find a place. Do you feel like that pipeline has been working? It's beginning to work. In fact, uh, the Toledo area has really been hustling. I talk about a school called Penta, which trains, you know, sort of future workers to operate uh, robots, uh, program robots, deal with lathes and machinery and so on. They have a number of high schools that feed into them. And so you sort of complete your high school at, at this Penta Technology Career Center. They do a great job and they are training people. In fact, some kids get jobs before they've even graduated, full-time, regular, you know, career-oriented jobs. People are screaming for those sorts of skilled workers in that area right now. The worry, and, and employment's good right now in the Toledo area, and the economy has come back significantly in the Toledo area. But what is worrying people is what the next thing is going to be. And so they've stressed this concept of, well, you got to be a lifelong learner. In other words, you can never be sure of anything. You've got a great job now, but tomorrow it might all fall apart because who knows what artificial intelligence is going to bring? What happens when robots start talking to each other and learning? So there is this sort of background noise of, boy, I'm, I'm doing great. I'm making $17 an hour, $18 an hour, and I'm 19 years old. This is going well. I could do this for the next 25 years, but will I be able to do mm-hmm. that? And nobody knows how to plan for that. You're listening to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. I'm talking with Brian Alexander. He's a writer and author of the book Glass House, The 1% Economy and the Shattering of the All-American Town. Um, To what degree do people see this? I mean, we've been talking about it so far as like this is a technological issue, right? New technology comes in and it displaces lots and lots of people. And that's certainly happened. To what degree do people think of it that way? And to what degree do people think of it as like... That global business has changed, that people hire temp workers now, that, you know, in 1960, China wasn't doing a whole lot of manufacturing, right? It was basically a closed country. But, boy, the playing field, right, has changed. And there's just so many more people competing to say, well, I'll manufacture things, I'll do things. I don't think that the average uh, plant worker thinks of it in that specific of a way. I think they regard it as a lot has changed and a lot continues to change. They don't fully understand what the specifics of this change are. They just know that it's not good for them. <laughs> and, and they may not know much about artificial intelligence, for example, but they've heard the term and they know that they are increasingly disposable. They feel that in their bones. Hmm. And something that I think that technology evangelists really forget about is that this is a sociocultural moment. People don't work for money if they can help it. 
What they work for is pride, a sense of accomplishment, a feeling that they're contributing something. This is a lot deeper than whether or not I've got a job and whether or not the job pays enough. It's who am I? In America, we are defined by the work we do. You, know, you introduce yourself to a party and you say, oh, well, I'm a writer or I'm right, a, a, right. a radio show host. Right. The, the, the Silicon Valley forgets about this and yeah. says, oh, well, you know, we'll give them universal basic income. Well, that doesn't solve this problem. Do you see that yourself? Like, you know, you grew up in Ohio. You don't live there anymore, but you have gone back for sometimes large periods of time to, to do this writing. Do you see that change? Like if you were talking to nobody else... Can you perceive that change yourself? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, no question about it. What's what's changed? Like how how do you feel like the Ohio of your childhood is different? You know, if you aren't from a small town, and I think I think it's true not just of Ohio, but any place where where you maybe grew up in a small town. There was a a special kind of social cohesiveness that has really eroded all over this country. And I think people have a great longing for that, a longing for community. And the fallout from this lack of social cohesiveness is obvious. People are have been tossed overboard to fend for themselves rather than having a real sense of belonging and community. You know, what we ought to do, I think, is sort of question some very basic premises about what we want modern-day capitalism to look like, what's it supposed to do for us. We've done a good job in this country of, for example, destroying unions. A lot of people's sort of social cohesiveness, their lives, their connections, their sense of community came from unions. It came from their place of work. It came from their their civic organizations. A lot of that has disappeared or is in the process of disappearing. I mean, you're talking about like the, the fabric of community breaking apart. Does that all come back to sort of finances and economics and jobs? Yes. Which, which in some uh, sense I, I, comes I, back to technology. Yeah, see, precisely. And, and that's where I think technology plays into this. You know, we've been rushing headlong into a technological future. I mean, I guess you could make the argument we've been doing it ever since the Industrial Revolution started, but, but it has especially accelerated, it seems to me, since the late 1970s uh, and the early 80s. And at first, it seemed like great promise. And there have obviously been many benefits of all this technological change. But I think one of the very destructive parts of it has been that it has contributed to this erosion of community. You know, we talk about social networks um, and how people can form online communities. That's not a replacement by any means. In fact, in my opinion, it has actually destroyed some real life communities. What does your reporting indicate to you about where we're headed, both sort of economically and politically, in the kinds of places, particularly in Ohio, but across the industrial Midwest, where you've done a lot of your reporting and where you've lived for a long time? Well, I think that these areas are still up for discussion. I don't think they are solidly Trump areas. They're certainly not solidly Democrat areas necessarily. You know, it's interesting. Sherrod Brown is a liberal Democratic senator from Ohio. Ohio went for Trump. It looks like uh, Sherrod Brown will win his reelection in the coming midterms sort of walking away. Mm -hmm. Well, why is that? Mm -hmm. 
Why does Sherrod Brown stand a very good chance of winning somewhat easily in a state that voted overall for Donald Trump? One of the reasons is because he shows up. He shows up at plant doors. And I think a lot of Democrats have failed at retail politics and have failed to listen to people in these areas. Brian Alexander is the author of Glass House, The 1% Economy and the Shattering of an All-American Town. He recently wrote about automation in MIT Tech Review, which we will link to on our website. Brian, thank you so much. Thank you very much. It's a great pleasure to be here. As we go through this week's show, we're going to hear all sorts of takes on what tech does to our jobs. But we want to know, what has tech done to your job? Has it made it easier? Has it eliminated it? Tell us your story. You can tweet me at Kara E. Miller, or you can tweet the show at iHubRadio. Radio. 